Good morning, church. Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing our recent, or our current sermon series. Uh, we've called it DNA, living out our uniqueness, um, living into our call. Uh, so we've been learning a little bit about DNA, but you can know the extent of my science language ends on this one. Um, but we've been saying how DNA is basically the carrier of genetic information. So DNA carries your essence, the core of who you are. Uh, but then the other thing we've been kind of holding on to is DNA also is a self-replicating material. So it reproduces. So when we look at us as an organization, as a, a group, a family, um, we're saying these are the fundamental uh, distinctive characteristics that make us who we are. So when you see living out our uniqueness, what we're saying is this is the essence of who we are as HBIC, as Harrisburg Brethren in Christ. But we're also saying this is living our call because DNA replicates and we too are to be reproducing. So it's not just enough to say this is who we are, but this is hopefully the disciples we're making because our God calls us to be disciples who makes disciples. Amen. Um, this morning, I'll be looking at Jeremiah 29. We'll be reading verses 1 to 14. Um, this, this passage has become one of my, not just favorite passages in Scripture, but probably one of the most informative passages I've ever found in Scripture. It's been such a blessing to me, and my prayer is that it's a blessing to you this morning as well. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn again to Jeremiah 29, or you can follow us up front here. Starting at verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders, among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisa, son of Shephan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much that you are indeed the God of the city. We thank you for the blessing that our city of Harrisburg is. God, we thank you for placing us here. We thank you for calling us here. We thank you for the good work you're already doing here. And God, we pray that we can be light bringers to our city, that we can be peacemakers in our city, that we can shine here, that we can follow the Christians of old and know this simple truth. We win our city. We win our peace of the world for your glory and your kingdom come. 
in your holy and precious name. Amen? Amen. This, this, this passage comes from Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is one of the, the most, I think, fascinating characters in all Scripture. Now, a lot of people call him a major prophet, and, and honestly, we just broke that down to whoever seems to have a lot of chapters, right? We're just like, well, he wrote a lot, and we have it, so he's major. He wrote a little and doesn't have that much, so he's minor. But, but actually, this, not necessarily just looking at how long his chapters are, Jeremiah is fairly major for a couple of reasons. One, he was a priest who lived and worked in Jerusalem, which was in the southern kingdom. Um, you have to remember this time in Scripture that Israel has been divided. You know, God gave him this covenant. God says, listen, if you're faithful to me and you listen to my covenant, you will be my people. You will shine for my glory. And this land that I brought you to, the promised land, that'll be your land of inheritance. But if you're not faithful to me, and if you break your promise and you don't live up to the covenant, you will lose the land. Now, what's happening here in our story is they haven't fully lost the land yet, but the land is divided. Israel is now the northern kingdom, and, and some people call it Samaria. People think that's where the tension begins, right? The northern kingdom is now Samaria and Israel. The southern kingdom got Jerusalem, so obviously they're holier, right? And they're called Judah, and that's what's happening. So Jeremiah comes from the northern kingdom, and he goes to the southern kingdom, and that's where he's called to be. The second thing about Jeremiah that we need to know is that he has a fairly hard job. You know, it's not, he's a major prophet because he's also the last prophet before Judah goes into exile, before Babylon comes and takes them over. So Jeremiah's work that God pulls on him is that he has to warn the people about the consequences of, of breaking God's covenant. He has to remind the people of the injustices that's all around them. You know, Jeremiah goes to a people and he says, not only have you broken God's covenant for generations upon generations upon generations, but you now go to temple. And then after you leave temple, you go to the shrine of your own gods. Perhaps some of us can relate. Where church is Sunday morning and Monday we do our own thing. But it was deeper than that. It wasn't just that they were following other gods. They were now building shrines to these other gods. And when Jeremiah comes onto the scene, Israel, the people of God, had not only started following other gods, they had descended into child sacrifice. That's where Israel is. And Jeremiah is the one that God's like, yeah, you go tell them. Second thing about Jeremiah, maybe you can relate to this, is everywhere he looks around, he sees corruption. The kings and the royals are corrupt. The government is corrupt. I don't know if y'all can relate to that, but you got to use your imagination, right? The government is corrupt all around them. The temple, the priests, the holy class is also corrupt because they've taken their eyes off of God and are only looking out for themselves. And the result of this corruption is that all around Israel, northern kingdom and southern kingdom is rampant injustice. And Jeremiah talks about two things that really break God's heart. The first one is the rampant injustice that he sees in Israel and in Judah. That the people who that society considered the least of these were the people who were suffering the most. That God's people had turned their backs on the widows, on the orphans, on the immigrants, on the people who were least in that society. And Jeremiah sees this, and he wants the people to know that it breaks God's heart. Yeah. How we treat the weakest in our society reflects what we believe about our God. And when we fall short, it breaks God's heart. Now, some of us, we have politics that differ from how we should love the immigrant. You're breaking God's heart 
if you don't look like your God who makes home for the immigrant. Some of us have families that tell us, you know, we got to look out for me and mine, right? We got to look out for my people. It breaks God's heart if your extent of your imagination and your work is only for me and mine because all of the world belongs to God and every single person is created in the image of God. Jeremiah looks around and he says, it's not just that you're corrupted, but the seed, the fruit of your corruption is that people are suffering all around you and you don't even care and it breaks our God's heart. The second thing that breaks God's heart that Jeremiah brings up, and then he's not the first to introduce it in scripture, but he really bemoans it and brings it up over and over and over again. And what he says is that when you break this covenant, When you sin against God, when you settle for less than what I've given you, you break God's heart. It's like you are a partner, or not even a partner, you are a spouse, and you're committing adultery with God. Now, some of us, we might be able to see how our sin affects us, right? Now, some of us who are more gracious might be able to even see how our sin affects others. But what all of us need to see is that when we sin, we break our God's heart, God is heartbroken. And Jeremiah is saying to the people of Israel, God loves you so perfectly and you're settling for these other gods who will never love you. God loves you so perfectly and you're settling for these other gods who will always fall short. They'll always betray you. God wants you to have life and life more abundantly and you're choosing to follow these other gods who will always let you down. Jeremiah is coming from a place where he's representing God to the people that say, you've sinned and you fell short. You're not following God. You're breaking God's heart by taking advantage of the least of these instead of providing for them. And you're breaking God's heart by choosing inferior gods. Jeremiah helps us to know who are the inferior gods that we bow down to. Who are the inferior gods that we've built shrines to? And maybe it's not a physical shrine like they did in Israel, but it's on our heart. Who are the least of these that God is calling us to that we're not living and loving and looking like our God? And where are we falling short? Because where we fall short breaks our God's heart. And of all of this, with this whole framework and backdrop, Jeremiah has to go to Israel and go to Jerusalem and go to Judah and says, not only have you fell short, but God's judgment is coming. The Babylon, this great big empire, is going to be the tool of God's judgment. And he says that Babylon is kind of like a wine glass that's just overpouring, and God's vengeance is coming because you have broken the covenant time and time again. You know, a lot of times when people talk about Jeremiah, they call him the weeping prophet. And what I tell people is that, well, he had a lot to cry about. You know, last time, you know, I, I think this is important for you guys to know this too, is that prophets come in all sorts of different places, all sorts of different ways, you know? The last time I preached on this, uh, this passage was two years ago. And I said, if you want to understand a weeping prophet, you just got to go talk to an Eagles fan. Because they cry about everything, but they have this simple hope that they might win something someday. And I know the Eagles fans are, Urgh. but remember what I said, prophets come in all sides of ways and places. And when I preached that two years ago, guess what happened the next month? The Eagles won the Super Bowl. Prophets come in all sorts of different ways, right? If you're an Eagles fan, that's about as cheery and as nice a thing I'll say for you is that you accidentally won the Super Bowl because of my blessing. You're welcome. 
But if we get back to Jeremiah, we have to understand that there was plenty for him to cry about. He's the last prophet before the siege, before Babylon takes over. You know, it would have been easy, er, if all he had to do was say, we're done for, it's coming. And then he ran and was just like, I'll see you guys later, right? But he has to predict it and then live through it. It's like the car accident is coming, and you can see it coming, and not only can you do nothing about it, you have a front row seat as it's happening all around you. Jeremiah is crying because he's calling out to the people to come back to God. He knows the judgment is coming, and he's living through it. The second thing that he's crying about is Jeremiah actually had a disciple. Um, one of his, his followers was described by the name of Baruch. I saw Baruch somewhere. Hi, Baruch. I think he left. All right. Or maybe he's hiding. But there was a guy by the name of Baruch. And why, when you understand the book of Jeremiah, what Baruch did is he, he got a bunch of Jeremiah's sermons, right? During this whole year that Jeremiah predicted, he put all the sermons together. And then he just thought about every story he had heard of bad things that happened to Jeremiah. And he put it in the book, right? So when you read Jeremiah, you realize he has a lot to cry about. But this is literally an anthology, the greatest hits of all the pain and suffering Jeremiah went through, Right? The third thing about Jeremiah, and probably I think for me the most touching thing about Jeremiah, the most human thing maybe, is this. He comes to his people to try and save his people, and they not only don't listen to God, they turn their backs on him. In fact, they persecute him. They jail him. They try to kill him. He comes to his people, and they jail and try to kill him, and it's the strangers, the aliens, the immigrants, who save him. Multiple times. Nebuchadnezzar one time, but my favorite is a guy by the name of Ebed-Melech. Ebed-Melech, the reason I love Ebed-Melech, I say this all the time, is because he's an African, and I love Africans, you know? It's not like, yeah, you know, we can keep going, but that's all right. The thing I love the most about Ebed-Melech is, you know, in the, in the scripture, it calls him an Ethiopian, or he's from Cush. Now, again, this isn't how we understand Ethiopia today on the Horn of Africa. Biblical Ethiopia or Cush could be anywhere in sub-Saharan Africa, which means that this guy could have been as dark as I am, right? And, and Jeremiah is going around saying, hey, Babylon is coming. <laughs> they're going to take us over. And all the political people get together and they're just like, listen, this isn't good for soldier morale. <laughs> you know, like, like, yes, they're coming, but this ain't good for morale to tell them we're going to lose. And Jeremiah's like, no, 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 you don't hear me. We're going to lose. They're going to slaughter us. They're going to take us over. And they said, you know, king, this isn't good for morale. We need to just kill him, right? And the, the answer of the king is very political. He's like, you know, I'm not necessarily going to kill him or tell you to kill him. But you should figure out what to do with him, right? And the answer is to put him at the bottom of a cistern, the bottom of a well. They throw him down the well, and they leave him there to starve to death. And if it wasn't for the African, it's true, you, you read it later. Ebed-Melech, who at some point along the line had been traveling to the city of Jerusalem, and maybe he heard Jeremiah, or maybe he just ran into a true follower of God. But at some point, Ebed-Melech started believing in God and believed that Jeremiah was the prophet of God. And Jeremiah is dying at the bottom of the pit, except for the African. That's a key point, in case you don't know. <laughs> Ebed-Melech goes to the king and says, listen, you're killing God's prophet. The blood of God's prophet is upon you. You need to not kill God's prophet. And the king says, oh, I guess we can't kill God's prophet. You figure it out. And Ebed-Melech goes to the sister and he goes to the hole. And, and Sally Harrison's here because she taught me this a couple years ago. She says it wasn't just enough 
that God reached, or that Ebed-Melech sent stuff down to pull up Jeremiah. But he noticed that when Jeremiah fell down the cistern, he had bruises and cuts all over his body. So Ebed-Melech ran and got rags to try to cover up the cuts as he's pulled up. And I love that picture because for us as Christians, as followers of God, it's not enough for us to see suffering. It's not enough for us to try to alleviate suffering. We have to also try to heal suffering. It's a threefold process. See the suffering, alleviate the suffering, and heal the suffering. The Africans teach us well, don't they? And the last thing I think about Jeremiah that makes him a weeping prophet, and I've touched on this a little bit, is he has this really hard job where he has to tell his people, things are bad, they're going to get worse. You have fallen short, and we're going to be slaughtered and put into exile. It's not going to be good for us. Now, if that's all he had to say, you know, that'd be good. In the sense of like, you got one track, you got your message, you just go and you're good. But God also wants him to carry hope to the people. He has to have them live the reality of things are not good, they're going to get worse. But he also wants them to know that no matter what situation we're in, our God is still the Lord Almighty. No matter what we're suffering, God is still on our side. No matter how much we fell short, God will not forget us. No matter how much pain we go through, our God not only understands, but he will bring healing to that pain. Jeremiah has the mental anguish of telling his people, we are going to fall short. But we are also going to have a God on our side. And that's why he's this weeping prophet. So our text this morning, that's the backdrop of what's going on. Jeremiah is writing this letter to his people and saying, I know you're down right now. I know life is hard. The exile is coming. We've been besieged. We've been slaughtered. We're crying. We're in grief. But I want you to remember that God is still worthy of praise. I know you're discouraged, but I want you to be encouraged because God is still on our side. I know it's all doom and gloom in the world, in your world, but praise God, we have a God of hope and we can trust in him. I know I'm the weeping prophet and we've all been crying our eyes out, but praise God because joy comes in the morning. The people had sinned. They had ignored God for generations. They had fallen short. You know, the, the kingdom itself was split because Solomon sinned. And then they carried on for generations upon generations. God forgives sin. But sin has consequences. And we do well to remember that. That God forgives sin. But sin has consequences. That people sinned for generations. So they would lose their land. They would lose their inheritance. They would lose their blessing. They would lose their identity that proved that they belonged to God. They would lose it all for a certain amount of time. And yet and still, Jeremiah writes this letter to bring them hope. And there's four things he wants them to hold on to. The first one is he wants them to know God, our God, the God of the universe, the God of Israel and Judah is still the Lord God Almighty. God is sovereign and with you now. 
God is in control and God's got you no matter what you're going through. And what a message to us this morning that it doesn't matter how dark the world looks, our God is still the God of light. It doesn't matter how broken you feel this morning, God has healed so much more and God desires to heal you. It doesn't matter where you are or how far away you feel from God this morning, the Holy Spirit is more powerful because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's afforded to you this morning. Our God is the God Almighty. The second thing that Jeremiah wants the people to know is that all of us are called to shine where we are. He tells them, this isn't ideal, right? You're losing your land, you're losing your inheritance, you're going to a foreign country, but guess what? I want you to shine where you are. And what if we all adopted that mindset that God wants us to shine where we are? Jeremiah says, man, make your roots and make them deep. Build your houses. Do stuff that brings you joy. Bring your gardens and eat from it, you know? Just the fruit, not the vegetables, but that's just my explanation. That's not really in Scripture. He just says plant your gardens, you know? But he also tells them to grow their families, to give their daughters to be married and their sons to be married because he wants them to know that your exile does not define your God's blessing. That where you are in your situation does not stop your God's blessing. That if you trust God, no matter where you are, God will use you that all of us are meant to shine where we are. And then he says the verse that I would say, one of the top five verses has changed my entire life and my outlook on God. He says, I want you <laughs> to seek the peace, the shalom of the city. And why this is beautiful is because a lot of us read this Jeremiah passage. I'll take that back. A lot of us skip this Jeremiah passage and get to the plans. I know the plans I have for you, the plans to prosper you. And we miss so much goodness. But before you get to the plans God has for you, there's two things. And the first one is you are to seek the peace of the city. We've been talking about shalom a lot the last month. Shalom is not just peace, but it's peace with God. It's peace with yourself. It's peace with the world around you. It's peace with others. The shalom that God is calling his people to, it says, I am placing you in exile so you can be a blessing there. I am placing you in Babylon, and it's a gift to you to shine there. You need to not worry about yourself. I'm God. I can take care of you. What I want you doing is seeking the peace and prosperity of your city. That's where you're called. That's where you are to shine. And then he ends with just a beautiful promise from God. If you call on me, says the Lord, I will listen. If you seek me, with your whole heart, with all of your being, with all that you are, you will find me. And I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, if you truly trust me. Sisters and brothers, here at HBIC, it's not just our DNA. It is who we are that God has called us to seek the peace of our city that God has called us to seek the peace of Harrisburg. Because here's the thing. All Christians are exiles. Our citizenship is in heaven. I don't know how many passports you got or what they, they tell you what your citizenship is. That's just a temporary piece of paper. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you belong to heaven and your citizenship is in heaven, which means that until you get to heaven, you're just passing through and you're passing through as a child of exile. 
And Peter and James both talk about this. So I think when we think about what it means to seek the peace of Harrisburg, we have to come to this truth. We have been gifted Harrisburg. I want you to hear me. I know it's hard for some of us, but it's true. We have been gifted Harrisburg. That means that whatever negative feelings you got from Harrisburg that you've been told or you've been experienced, that doesn't change the truth that we are still Harrisburg brethren in Christ church. We have been gifted Harrisburg. God has placed us here for a reason, and we are called to shine here. We have to. We have to. We have to believe that this city is a gift from God to us. Because if people are bad-mouthing the city and we join in, are we looking like our God? If people are talking about all the evils, I love when people say, man, the city has so much darkness. I'm like, yeah, there's no darkness anywhere else, you know? Like the world's just perfect outside of our cities. There's darkness everywhere. But here's the thing. If you're really good at complaining about the darkness of the city, the only question is, are you even going to be willing to shine your light? We have been gifted Harrisburg, and all of us have to do the work so we get to a place where we believe that being in the city is a gift. God doesn't just want us to be a building. God doesn't just want us to turn the lights on, turn the lights off. We are called to the city of Harrisburg, and all of us must make this city our own. We have to pledge to God this morning and for the rest of our lives that we're not just HBIC, but that we're Harrisburg brethren in Christ. We have to see our city as a gift. And when we see our city as a gift, it's even easier for us to know that God is still the God Almighty, and he's the God Almighty here too. That we don't have to fear darkness because Jesus says we are the light of the world. That we don't have to fear brokenness because there's nothing we can see that our God hasn't healed already. We don't have to fear anything because perfect love casts out fear. And Jesus says don't be overcome by the world. Trust Jesus Christ because he has overcome the world. God is still the God Almighty here at our work for all of us. We are tasked with shining here. That's the job. We're not just meant to be a physical entity. We are meant to shine here. And I'm telling you this morning, if we were Monrovia brethren in Christ, we'd be called to shine there. If we were Bogota, brethren in Christ, we'd be called to shine there. If we were Ho Chi Minh City, brethren in Christ, we'd be called to shine there. But guess what we are? We are Harrisburg, brethren in Christ, which means that this is where God's called us to. This is where we're not leaving. And this is where God wants us to shine. All of us have the responsibility of shining here. You know, one of the things I think we've forgotten is from the early church, they had the simple truth, win the city for Christ, and you win the world. God has a plan for the world. God's love is for the world. But if we're willing to partner with the Holy Spirit, we can partner with God to win this piece of our world. And that partnership is beautiful for so many reasons. First of all, it says that we as HBIC are one body. We are one people working together. And I love that we serve in a church, that there's nothing we can do without the power of the Holy Spirit and without the commitment of each other. There's so many of you who makes this church beautiful by how you use your gifts and your abilities to love and serve this church. 
And what I love about partnership is it also points us to the different people in this region who are doing so many great things for our city. Because here's the thing, the lie we like to believe is that cities are so dark that there's no good here. But you know what partnership does? It tells us that we can't run a food pantry without good people doing work because we can do that work. We can't run our outreaches without a lot of good people coming together with Pastor Carmen to do that work. We can't teach the youth without good people coming together and telling them they need to turn to Christ. Partnership is not just partnering with the Holy Spirit. It's not just partnering with each other. It's bringing it all together. Because if we partner as one body, if we partner with others, here's something that's beautiful. We can reach more people than we can ever imagine. That's why partnership is beautiful. It opens up doors that you can never conceive on your own. The thing about cities is ever since the beginning, They have always been the centers for people, for culture, and influence. And it makes sense. Cities were traditionally where most of the people would live, where most of the people are. Cities traditionally in Bible times were also transportation routes. So the church wasn't just, you know, I think a lot of Christians, we believe the lie that we're supposed to run from cities, right? And if you don't think that's a lie, I'm telling you not to lie. Um, But biblically, the church looked at the cities and they said, oh my gosh, that's where we need to go. If that's where the most people are, that's probably where we should be too. Instead of being fear, they said, well, my God's kind of bigger than any fear I might have, so maybe I'll be okay, right? But they traditionally and and systematically chose cities. And if you look at your New Testament epistles, they were all written to what? Cities and regions. Because they knew you win the city, you win the world. Because what would city have? Not just a lot of people, but a lot of diverse people. And they knew that when they built these relationships, they would get people from all over the world. And if those people start to believe in Christ, they would take that what? To the world. And we've seen that at our little church in Harrisburg. We look around and you see all these flags. We have missionaries in a bunch of these countries. This little church in Allison Hill is impacting the world because we have chosen to be here, to love here, and to serve here. This is the line of tradition we come from with the early church. Win the city and win the world. But cities were also places of culture and influence. And there's so many of us who are really good at silo Christianity. I'm a city kid, so this is the best I can do with farming, right? So I'm going to get butchered by my father-in-law, but it's okay, you know? He retired, so I am okay. A lot of us think our Christianity is meant to save up and to protect me and mine and to store it up in the silo. Like, we think that's what it's all about. Like, protect me and mine, me and Jesus, we're good. You know, maybe me and my kids are good too, right? But that's not what your Christianity is meant to look like. We're still the church on a hill. We're still the church that's physically in Allison Hill. We're still sitting in a garage where you can park on the roof. And God has called us here to not only shine here, but to have a faith that's so vibrant that it welcomes people in. We are not meant to be silos. We are meant to shine our lights. We're not meant to hide it under a bushel. We're meant to shine our lights. We're not meant to only worry about me and mine, me and Jesus are good. We're meant to shine our lights. You know, one of the interesting things about cities, and I think Christians have lost imagination for the cities, I think God's going to force our hand because that's what he does. You know, God tells us and tells us and tells us, and we don't listen. Finally, he's like, fine, I'll do it, right? In 1950, there was two metropolitan areas, New York City and London, 
that had 10 million people. Two, today there's over 20 plus. And most of those are happening now in Africa and in Asia. Whatever estimate you use, most people will tell you that either we're already there or we'll be there in the next five years, but over half the world's population will live in metropolitan areas. You want to win the world for Christ, you got to do what the Christians did. You got to go to the city. You have to go to the city. And I'm not saying that God can't serve and, and work with you in the suburbs. They're metropolitan areas too. I'm still looking for suburbs in the Bible, and I think I'm going to find it someday. I'm still looking, but I haven't found it yet. You know, I'm still trying to find suburbs, right? So we'll just go to a metropolitan area because the call is for all of us to shine where we are. Cities impacted regions with all the transportation routes. They impacted the world with all the global people coming in. They impacted the culture. My sisters and brothers, we can stop ignoring the fact that this is the capital city of Pennsylvania. If we want to impact our state, we kind of have a head start being in Harrisburg, don't we? It's time to start asking, what does that mean? You know, our DNA is for us to not just choose this city, but that we are to be shalom makers. The truth, though, is that a lot of Christians, not you guys, because you're Harrisburg brethren in Christ, you know, you're holy, you know? But a lot of Christians are very indifferent when it comes to cities. A lot of Christians are very indifferent when it comes to cities. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of reasons. But here's the thing. There's a guy who you might have heard. Now, I grew up in America, so we call him Eli Weisel, but that's not his name. You know, every Jewish person I tell says Ellie Wiesel, right? Um, that's how they pronounce it, and I think if that's how they pronounce it, that's how I should pronounce it, right? This is a man who survived concentration camps. And when he stepped out, he said this, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. We cannot afford to be indifferent about our city of Harrisburg. We cannot afford to not care. We cannot afford to say that's someone else's problem. We cannot afford to be indifferent. We are called to love our city. We have to also do work because within ourselves, we've believed the lies too. We believe that the cities are too dark. We believe that, you know, there's so much darkness that I just don't know where I can start, right? And the smart Alex side of me says, well, find a place where there's no darkness. Good luck, you know? But I think all of us must be reminded, not of the darkness that we see in the city, but that God calls you the light. And that the true light is already shining. So your job is not to complain about the darkness, it's to shine a little brighter. Other thing about cities I thought was very, very interesting was simply this. The word civilized actually means cityfied. And, and this is hard for our modern sensibilities because we just think, you know, cities are so dangerous and they're, 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 they're so dangerous, right? Every major study that's come out in the last 50 years says America's never been safer than ever. Than ever, you know? But the thing about cities when you look at it in the Bible is that there are also places of refuge. And we still see this in our society. When people come from immigrant countries, you know, if you give them a choice, would they take the farm or the suburb, they'll probably take the city. There was a sense of safety that, like, I can go a place where I might find someone who can relate to me. I can go to a place where it might be a little bit easier to get started. I can go to a place where I'll have easier access to the things I need to live and get my life started. 
if cities are the places where the most people are, and we are Christians, maybe, just maybe, where the most people are, we would start turning our attention to. And maybe, just maybe, we will ask God for forgiveness for our indifference and for our fear and for our falling short. Because our God has always loved cities. And when the new Jerusalem comes down, you might love the farm, but you're going to be in the city. (laughs) When we say Harrisburg and loving Harrisburg is part of our DNA, we're saying, yes, we're called to a city. Yes, we're called to this city. But we're also saying, yes, Lord, yes. God has called us to be light bringers here. God has placed us in Allison Hill. We choose to be here. And that means that we're going to rely on God to serve and serve well. That we're going to rely on God because our light must not be hidden and it must not only be for ourselves. Jeremiah reminds the people in exile, and I want to remind us this morning, God has placed us where we are to shine where we are. God has called us here to live for him here. If we win this city, my sisters and brothers, we win the world. If we win this city, we win the world. And for some of us, we gotta take work because we gotta reorient our thinking about cities. We gotta reorient our thinking about people. We gotta reorient our thinking about God himself. But we have to, we have to, for as long as we're gonna put Harrisburg in our title, For as long as we're going to be here, my prayer is that we're not just here, but that we're here with our whole heart, that we're here with our hopes and our dreams, that we're here with our gifts, our skills, and our abilities, that we're here with everything that God has given us to love every way we possibly can. Seek the peace of Harrisburg. Live for the peace of this city. Because if this city prospers, we win the world. I'd like to call up the worship team. We're gonna end our service this morning by singing a song, Build My Life. I love this song because as we talk about what it means to be present here, what it means to love here, what it means to shine here, it calls us back to what are we willing to build our life on? And what we have to build our life on is Jesus Christ. God calls us to Harrisburg. We are physically in Harrisburg. My prayer is that we will always love and be loved by God and our city of Harrisburg. Let's stand and sing together. I'd like to also invite up the intercessors and anyone who needs prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you.